The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Turn now in your copy of God's Word to Mark 5, verse 21, is where we pick up in our series today. Few tragedies in this life shake us to the core, quite like the death of a child, or the diagnosis of an incurable disease. Even if these two things have never hit close to home, if you're just human and you read about or hear about one of these two things, they can move us to tears, to pity, provoke our prayers and a desire to help. But when they do hit close to home, we feel just how powerless we are how helpless we are. We experience the limits of our humanity, knowing how brief and fragile life really is. And it's in these moments that many who are walking through the grief of these things do extraordinary things. Some experiencing the death of a child will travel the world. Others who uh, have been given the diagnosis of cancer go on daring adventures or start foundations or fund the research to prevent these things from happening to others. And it's in these tragedies, really, that life is put into perspective. What was once taken for granted is now cherished. What was once mundane becomes marvelous. What was once flavorless suddenly is savored. Today in our passage, disease and death are the final two unstoppable forces that Mark rather uh, shows us in this series of four. In previous weeks, we've seen uh, Jesus' power over the unstoppable force from a human perspective of the weather. And then last week over demonic forces. And now with all four of these uh, forces, not, none of them are respecters of persons, are they? Whether you are Christian or non-Christian, they show no partiality to the rich, to the poor, to man or woman, adult or child. And we'll see uh, here this morning vividly in these verses that taken as a whole from the storm at the sea to the man and the garrisons and now that these forces prey upon any and all. But beloved, Christ is stronger than them all and comes to the rescue of any and all, rich, poor, man, woman, adult, child. And so let's look now at Mark 5, 21 through verse 43, I want to read it for us, and we will see the compassionate healer at work. Listen now as I read this account. It says this, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. 
and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. I trouble the teacher any further. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, rise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word for God's people. We pray for a moment, for my sake. God in heaven, what a great passage. What a great display of, uh, of your compassion and your power and to two very different but two very helpless people. And so we need your help this morning, Lord, to see, to see you at work in this, me as much as anybody. God, help both the, the preacher and the people be impacted by, um, by your word today. Lend your aid, please. 
lend your help as we find ourselves in these kind of situations uh, quite often. And yet you, God, are a strong God. Even in the midst of these things, we can say, look what God has done. Look what God has done, the mercy that he has shown us. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I apologize for the tears. It's a tender passage for me. It has been for many, many years. And so you can imagine my study this week and uh, how kind and compassionate God was uh, again in studying this and its impact into, uh, into my own life and to the story of uh, God's work in Aaron and I's life. What's interesting here as we um, turn our attention to the scriptures is that Mark uses a sandwich structure here. We saw it a few chapters ago, but he uses a sandwich structure in communicating a central truth. The central truth of this passage being no matter who you are, come to Jesus in faith. No matter who you are, come to Jesus in faith. See, the compassionate healer here is always available and always in control, and he's always ready to receive those who, uh, here's your first point, come desperate for help. Jesus is always ready to receive those who come desperate for help. He begins in this first section, these first few verses, uh, back in likely the city of Capernaum. Speaking to a, a man named Jairus, and uh, then he'll split, and then he comes back to the other side of the sandwich later, as you saw. But to put it in context here, Jesus, he, last week we saw he was in the uh, area or the region, the county of the Gerasenes. He had his appointment with the demon-possessed man, had delivered him, and now verse 21 says Jesus crossed again to the boat, uh, to the other side. This time no storm, praise the Lord, right? No storm, and he goes back over, we're not told, but likely Capernaum here, and what greets him again, as like any place, a crowd. A crowd gathers about him. There are people, they see him, you can just picture the scene, Jesus is coming, the boat's coming up to the shore, and the people are gathered there, and somebody spots uh, the man Jesus sitting in the boat, and quickly word spreads like wildfire, and they uh, drop what they are doing, and they come to the shore to greet Jesus. And in this crowd is one ruler of the synagogue, a man named Jairus, we're told. The ruler of the synagogue wasn't among necessarily the priestly order. They were more of a lay leader, an influencer, a leader, similar to, you know, to kind of put into context to like a lay elder uh, within the church today working and in the pastoral role, but a, a, a ruler of the synagogue was somebody like that, an influential person to the affairs of the synagogue. See, in, in those days, the synagogue wasn't just like the religious center of the community, but also the social center. All things kind of revolved around it. To, so to be a ruler of a synagogue would make him a man of great standing within the community, a man of prestige. And so this man, with who has servants, has his own uh, multiple room house, which is a, a signifier of great wealth. This man comes and look at verse 22, the similarities to the same way that the demon-possessed man approached Jesus. 
He sees him, verse 22 says, falls at his feet and implores him earnestly. Literally, it's, it's the same word. Back in, earlier in the chapter, uh, our ESV translators translate it, begged him. It's the same word. I don't know why they didn't use the same word. They, they say implored here. Maybe it's to make it sound more dignified since he was a man of dignity, but it's literally the same word. Here's a man who is desperate for help, who comes to Christ, sees him coming, falls at his feet and begs him earnestly for his daughter. My little daughter is at the point of death, he says. And he begs, he implores Jesus, come, come with me, lay your hands on her so that we may, she may be made well and live. He had likely seen the power of Christ. He had witnessed these. And so now he just says, hey, come and just, just lay your hands on her. And whether he had some sort of like magical or mystical understanding of what that meant, we don't know. You know, we, even today we lay hands on when we pray for people, right? Is there some sort of like magical or mystical power when we do that? No, it's symbolic of the power of God working through us, our unity, our, our uh, coming together around this person for whatever uh, it might be, to send them off, to pray for healing, to pray for God's work uh, in their life. And so uh, Jairus asks, begs, and Jesus goes. And Jesus goes. And where Jesus goes, what happens? Verse 24, of course, a great crowd follows him, right? A great crowd follows him and throngs about him. See, G Jairus's position here would have given him uh, great access to any help he would have needed for his daughter. But he was at the point, he was desperate for his daughter. He needs immediate help. There's no 911, there's no calling EMS, there's no hopping on med flight to get to Jerusalem where the best medical doctors or whatever uh, would have been. He needed immediate help and just in the providence of God, who was coming in the boat that day? Jesus. See, desperation makes us willing to do all kinds of things, even, even compromise. See, as a, as a synagogue ruler, like I just mentioned, he had likely witnessed Jesus' teaching uh, that confronted the Pharisees. That, that overturned all the, that he was leading and influencing as a ruler of the synagogue. He had known these things, witnessed these things, and now he's desperate. He had likely also encountered the, the multitudes of people that had been healed and delivered of demons, that had been made to walk and to see. And now he finds himself in a place where his religious system isn't working but a place of faith that is desperate. Church, the first step of faith, of coming to Christ, is one of desperation. It's in varying degrees, no doubt. We're not always at the point of, of death, but faith takes us to Christ desperate for help where we recognize I have a need, I can't save myself, I can't get out of this pickle and I must come to Christ. See, faith dismantles our self-sufficiency. Faith dismantles our self-reliance and pushes us to Christ as the only solution to our problems, both physical and spiritual. Faith pushes us, our desperation, uh, it pushes us to Christ, both at the beginning when we are regenerate, when we first come to Christ, and then all throughout our life, all throughout our sanctification, all along as we grow. It is an act of desperation, of repentance, of confession, of coming to Christ saying, I can't do this, but Christ can. Amen. But Christ can. Jairus comes desperate. 
And what we find here in the midst is this ever compassionate Christ ready to receive him, but also ready to receive those who come humble for healing. Look at where verse 25, like the scene changes. This woman comes humble for healing. You can see Jairus, he's walking along. He's there making the way to his house. The crowd is around him. And in verse 25, Jesus is interrupted by a woman on the opposite end of the social order. Look at the description of her in in verse 25 and verse 26. Here's a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. You can't even fathom what that would be like. I can't, I, I can't, and, and this bleeding is not only the physical uh, depletion that this would wreak havoc on her body for 12 years, and now, spiritually speaking, she is ceremonially unclean. She can't go near anybody, she, let alone go uh, into the temple, into the synagogue. The safety of the presence of God was off limits to her in that, so, uh, in that society. She was unclean and cast out. And not only that, look it, she had tried to get help, but she had, as verse 26 says, suffered much under many physicians. You get the picture here. Years of doctor's appointments, years of referrals, years of trying all kinds of of treatments, all kinds of invasive uh, uh, treatments and remedies of of that era. and, And you think there was some suffering involved? Yeah. And not only that, look what it says there. She had spent what? All she had. Now she's outcast and she's broke. She's broke. She can't hardly work or anything. What could she do that she wouldn't make unclean? And so now she can't be around people. She's, she has no money. And, you know, here's the understatement. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. Day after day, getting worse and worse and worse and helpless to break the downward spiral. Until one day, some sun peeked through the clouds. What it goes on, it says, she had heard the reports about Jesus. That the reports of what Jesus had done, the people that said, look what God has done for me. Look at the mercy of God shown me had made its way all the way to this outcast woman. She had heard the reports about what God had done in other people's lives. Church, what are you reporting about God in your life? What's your report of the mercy and the compassion that Jesus has shown you? Is the report working its way even to the outcasts? See, she had likely seen these. She had heard about those healed, delivered, made to see. And now suddenly a glimmer of hope. Could she too be healed? And so she braves the crowd that she had avoided for years. She dared to make them unclean. And you see the picture here. She like slips through this crowd that is pressing upon Jesus. And she grabs this garment. A reach of faith likely grabbing the tassel hung from his robe. And as she did, like a cord plugged into an electrical socket, a surge of divine energy flows through her body and dries up her blood and transforms her heart. Of course, Jesus knows this, right? 
Of course, he's not, he's not uh, aloof to the, the power that is working on. He perceives this. He knows where there are those that have faith. And he, you know, and so he turns around. Who touched my garments? And you, you know, we can't fault the, the disciples, right, for being a little bit incredulous. Maybe a tad snarky here. Like, Jesus, people are like bumping around you. They're pushing. We're walking through the crowds. Like, come on. Like, of course, people are touching you. I just touched you. But then the woman, verse 33, she knows what happened to her. And you get the scene here. You picture the, the woman. She reveals herself. She falls before him and she play, pleads her case telling the truth. You, you can picture the scene. Here's a woman who, who uh, you can picture her trembling, her, her apologies, her t- the tears that are flowing likely. Her, 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 she, she hadn't talked to anybody like this and now she's just like a rambling mess as she's telling the truth to Jesus. I did it and I, I was bleeding and I just had faith and I, I'm, I'm coming here to you now. And in verse 34, Jesus tender and compassionate Jesus, unafraid of her uncleanness, calls her something she likely hasn't heard in years. Daughter. Do you hear the affection, the compassion, the tenderness that Jesus has for this woman? As he causes it in the same way that her blood dried up or the hardness and defensiveness of her heart melts away. And he makes, he makes this life-altering proclamation. Daughter, your faith has uh, literally saved you. It's probably translated if you're in the ESV, made you well, but literally saved you. Now go in peace. No more anxiety, no more fear, no more hiding. No more shame, no more, no more outcasts. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see the humility of this woman, the faith and courage of this woman that comes and gets Jesus' attention. We see this all throughout the scripture. Humility always gets God's attention. No matter who you are, no matter what place you occupy in the social order of the culture in which you live, humility always gets God's attention. Isaiah 66 is a prime passage for this. Isaiah 66 verse 1, thus says the Lord, heaven is my name, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be. You see the mighty God here. You see awesome, strong God. But then he says, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. It's the woman who's bleeding for 12 years. It's the woman who's, who's bleeding. I read a similar verse this morning as I was meeting with the Lord in Proverbs 22. Let's see if I can find it here. It talks about, I was reading my other Bible. So let's see if I can find it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor in life. The reward for humility, this is Proverbs 22, 4. 
the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Come before the Lord humble, fearing him. There is always a great reward, just as this woman has come. Humility gets his attention. It gets his attention because it's given by faith. Faith is, this is a fruit of the faith, that faith that God gives to us, no matter who you are. No matter if you're a social outcast, no matter if you are a, a social elite, humility gets the attention of the Lord as we come before him humble. Some of us have been in some, and maybe not bleeding, some of us have been in some affliction, maybe a marriage for 12 years, maybe a, 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 just a, a toxic uh, a circumstance at, uh, at work or in a relationship with a friend or struggling with something and it's persisting not pronouncing anything upon this woman, but it's maybe in your life it's persisting because you haven't come humbly before the Lord, contrite in spirit, fearing God. But if you want the Lord to look, you want the attention and the kindness and the compassion and the tenderness of God, come humble for healing. Come humble for the solution no matter who you are. Verse 35, then the scene is interrupted again. This woman has been made well, but faith comes before the Lord as we come believing that he can. Come believing as that he can. See, the scene here that's like all well and good, the woman has, has been made well, and in verse 35, while he's still speaking, there's some people that come up. Like, remember, like all throughout this interaction, as they're moving and Jesus is, is talking to, uh, to the woman, Jairus is with him in a desperate situation. He had just come because his daughter's on the brink of death, and they're like moving pretty quickly to his house in the midst of the crowd, and now Jesus is stopping. Jairus is like, no, we gotta like, we gotta go, man. We gotta go. My daughter's on the point of death. We don't have time to talk to her. And then, in the midst of them moving, receives the worst news any parent could receive. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And in the shock of that news and the buzz of the crowd uh, around them, Jesus then speaks these words that just kind of hang there. Do not fear, only believe. And it's words like that sometimes that we, we just kind of cast off like they're trite words and yet these are some of the most weighty words that a believer can cling to. Those words there are, are some of the most solid foundation that you as a Christ follower can place your feet upon when everything else is rocking and shaking and moving about you. And so Jesus speaks these words and he doesn't allow anyone else. He takes only his inner circle. He, he leaves the rest because they're like, don't trouble the teacher anymore. So the disciples are with him. He leaves them behind, but he brings Peter, James, and John and they make the rest of the journey to Jairus' house where look, there's already mourners there. There's already a commotion about the house. 
There's the, they had already, in the time that the servants had come and were looking probably for Jairus in the midst of the crowd, they had also dispatched other servants to go hire the professional mourners. See, in that culture, uh, uh, grieving was not a silent thing. We in America and the West, uh, when we're grieving, it's typically more of a, of a veiled thing. It's a silent thing. It's something uh, that we do in private. It's very personal. But in this culture, no, grief was a, it was a public thing, a loud thing, and it went on for a long time. So much so that there were like, this, this was, could be your job. You could be a public mourner and weep and wail about the house to say, there is mourning and grief about here. Some of our children that uh, weep and wail pretty loud could have a job at a young age, right? <laughs> Go put them to work for a while. And as they make their way over to, to Jesus, or Jairus' house with us, the people are wailing and mourning. You can get the picture of the commotion. And he enters and he says to them, look at Jesus' words in verse 39. He says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And those who hear it laugh the skeptical laugh of unbelief. Jesus has just said something outlandish. Like, we've been in the room. We have saw her lifeless, motionless body. And now you come up in here and say that she's not dead, but sleeping. And so Jesus puts them all outside the house. He takes only the mom and dad and the three disciples with her. And he comes in, sees her motionless body. And he speaks these two tender, powerful words that Mark records for us here in the Aramaic language. Talitha Kumi. And in those two words, which literally translated little girl, I say to you, arise or get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old. And she walks, and the five witnesses, now they are stunned and motionless. Their jaws hit the ground in amazement at what has just happened. See, Jairus believed that Jesus could keep her from dying when he approached Jesus. He believed that God could raise her from the dead when she got the bad news, when others laughed and when they entered the room. And now his little girl is walking before him. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. Unbelievable that God could do something like this. That we're just laying there motionless just moments ago, and now her spirit is back upon her. She is up and walking around. And then he tells her, give her something to eat so we can make sure, like, this isn't a ghost, y'all. Like she's still a real person. She needs something to eat. Death had been defeated. But it would be a mistake as we kind of take this passage and apply it to our life. It would be a mistake to read this passage and conclude that if we just believe enough, if we're just humble enough, if we're just desperate enough, then physical healing and resurrection will always result. 
We can be sure that it won't happen apart from these things, apart from desperate, humble, believing faith. But let me ask it this way. If Jesus hadn't calmed the storm, if he hadn't delivered the possessed man, if he hadn't raised this girl from the dead, if he hadn't kept the woman from suffering a long, horrible life and death, would he still be the compassionate healer and strong savior? We believe that he can, but what about when he doesn't? Even then, is he still the compassionate healer and strong savior? Write your answer on a piece of paper and turn them in. Let's see what we vote. <laughs> Beloved, the answer is yes. Yes. And the reason why we answer yes is because the end game isn't physical. The end game for the believer isn't a long, healthy, prosperous life. The end game for believers is an eternal resurrected life. That's the, that's the hope that we have. That's the end game that we are looking for. The end game is spiritual, not necessarily physical. And that is incomparably better than what we even see here. Even more unbelievable. Even more miraculous of the grace that happened uh, to save us. And we can really only appreciate the miracles in this passage when we have the greater understanding of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we have the greater uh, understanding of the good news of the gospel. And that's why in verse 43, I think Jesus silences them. Well, he says, don't go tell them. He strictly charged them. Don't tell others about this because they would miss the point. They don't fully understand yet why Christ has come. But what, from our perspective, we see what Jesus did at Calvary, and that puts all of this in perspective, that he would suffer brutally, that he would be cast out by men, that he would take on sin, that he would be rejected by God and cast outside the camp, only to show himself infinitely strong by rising from the dead and walking among people and eating with his disciples. Faith is a confident assurance, yes, that in the power of God that saves us. And that's what the picture is here. That is the infinitely greater truth. That is what holds us strong even when we're longing to hear Jesus whisper the words to Letha Kumi. We don't hear them. That is what keeps us anchored when we are in the midst of a decade or decades long affliction. So it keeps us holding fast in the midst of storms when we realize that Jesus is still compassionate, that Jesus is still a strong savior, that Jesus has a greater and better plan in the midst of whatever we are going through, no matter who we are. If you're a man or a woman, if you are an adult or a kid, if you are rich or you are poor, if you find yourself in a spot where you are pleading with the Lord desperately, humbly, believing that you can, even then we can marvel at the grace that we have even to ask. We can marvel at the faith that is given despite our incredible sinfulness. We can marvel at the tender mercy shown to us despite the outcome. We can marvel at the hope 
that we have that his power and presence changes things. That it takes panic in the midst of storms and changes it to fear in God. That it takes a man who is tormented by demons and, and transforms him into a missionary for Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a power that, that takes a social outcast and makes her a beloved daughter. It's a, it's, it's a faith, it's a hope that we have of life-changing power. It takes somebody who was a social elite and gives him electing faith. No matter who you are, Jesus will receive you in faith. No matter who you are, the gospel is at work. We see it in these two accounts here. Mark is showing that Jesus is stronger than all four of these forces particularly over disease and death. He is still Lord. He is still good. He is still compassionate. He is still at work. We believe that he can. We walk forward in faith. We ask that he will. We trust him even when, even when it doesn't. But see, our faith isn't just built upon the, all the uh, yes answers to our requests, are they? Faith is built upon the various answers that God gives us so we trust him in the midst of whatever these circumstances are. So what I want us to do just as we uh, close, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and, and uh, I want us to just spend a bit of time in prayer. I'm sure just knowing uh, you know, the majority of you in here, some of you have not yet met. If you're a guest with us today, welcome. I'm sure maybe you find yourself in a, in a spot, maybe disease, maybe death is knocking at your door. Maybe you find yourself afflicted, tormented. Maybe you find yourself uh, uh, in the midst of a, you know, a, a storm. You need to cry out to the Lord today. And the Lord would love nothing better for, no matter who you are, to come to him in faith this morning. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Christ. Maybe you've, uh, uh, today you've, you've walked in here and you realize, you know what? I don't have the hope. I've never experienced the grace and the mercy, the forgiveness, the compassion we see in this passage. And today your prayer is one of just, Jesus, I come to you repentant of my sin, placing my faith in you. And so what I want us to do is uh, uh, we're, the, the worship team's gonna begin singing this song, Raised to Life, a song that we love here at Redemption. But I want you just as you are sitting in your seat, is I just want you to take some moment and pray with, to the Lord. Maybe you need to pray with the person that came with you. Maybe you came on your own. You're like, I, I need someone to pray with me. I can't even formulate this into words. I need, I need someone to pray with me. And I want you to do that uh, now. I want, you to, I want you to just spend some time in prayer. And then when you are ready to sing, they're going to begin singing the song. But when you're ready to sing, you just stand up and begin singing the song with us. You just begin when your heart's ready to worship. Maybe you're already ready. Maybe, maybe you're like, I'm not in this. Praise the Lord. And you can stand up and sing for the rest of us, for some that can't sing today. But when you're ready, you just stand and sing. And then we'll come and close the service. Can we do that?